hear from the word of the Lord from Psalm 89, a foretelling of our promised king. It says, I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn and the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. And my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the sky. As long as we can look up and see the sun at day, in the day and the moon at night, we know that the line of David stands and our forever king reigns in righteousness. Let us exalt his name together. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. You chosen seed of Israel's race.
that his feet may fall will join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all will join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Amen. Yes, Jesus is Lord of all. He is ruling and reigning now and forever uh, over our lives and over our circumstances. And, and so no matter what is going on, we have a reason to rejoice. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for taking time to watch this recorded service of uh, Desert Springs Church. And if you're watching this on the video, what you don't see is actually right now in this room, we have a small group of people gathered together. Um, in keeping with the governor's orders, uh, trying to obey all of our earthly authorities, we have opened up this recorded time to the staff elders and deacons and their family. Uh, so there is a good, beautiful, masked group of people sitting here. And, and there was a few reasons that we decided to take this step in inviting more people into this time. Uh, one of those is, as you can imagine, when myself or Ryan or Drew, we are talking or singing into an empty room, it is not fun. Uh, it is not the ideal way for us to try and be communicating the truths of God's word to an empty room and cameras. And so we thought it would help if we just had a few more people looking at us and nodding along with us. And, and, and we already feel the difference in the room. It's wonderful. But maybe more importantly, the reason that uh, the leaders of our church decided to open it up to this small group of people was so that we can start taking those steps and figuring out the practicals and the logistics of opening up our church again so that we can have in-person meetings. So there's a lot, as you can imagine, that goes into making sure that we are obeying all of the social distancing rules, that we are just being wise and safe and how we're cleaning the building and, and how even ins and outs and entrances and exits and bathrooms and all of that works. It's very complicated. And so we thought to do that well, to do that wisely, we'd start doing some dry runs with a smaller group of people. So, so I say that, church, I hope you're encouraged. Even though you can't see the group of people here, we are taking steps. We are trying to get back to where we can gather together, where we can pray together, where we can sing together. And I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know what it's going to look like, but, but this is just one more reason for you. I know you already have been, but please keep praying. Keep praying for uh, the leaders of our church that, that we would be wise in trying to figure out how we do this and all of the different aspects of that. Um, pray that we would be honorable and above reproach in that process and pray that God would just show us favor and that we would get to meet together again as a family. But also just praise God. Praise God for, for little steps of, uh, of faithfulness in that. So um, it's my pleasure to lead this group of people and all of you in prayer for our service before uh, we continue to worship God through singing. So would you pray with me? God, we do, uh, we do thank you that you are Lord over all and that you are working 
Um, even, God, when it feels like you're not working, you are never not ruling and reigning, and you are always working everything together for, for good, for our own good, for our own sanctification. And, and Lord, you are working everything together for your, your good plan to save a people, a church that is made up of, of people from every tribe and tongue and nation on this planet, God. And it is that hope that we have come together uh, today to worship you for and to remind ourselves of, Lord, that you have saved us and you are still saving to the uttermost and you are using us in that, in that mission. So God, I pray that you would use this time, this morning, to remind us of the gospel, to remind us of all of the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ, and that you would stir us up to rejoice in you and to share that gospel with others. Lord, I pray uh, for the singing, I pray for the preaching, that in all of that, Lord, you would be made, uh, made much of and glorified, and that we would have joy, joy that spreads to the whole world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now let me read this from Galatians chapter 3. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let us sing for joy, with joy, for the Lord has come. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart Heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns, and men their songs employ. The sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Joyful, joyful.
sorrows grow. Lord, thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. He rules the world. Sing it out. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love and wonders of His love and wonders, wonders of can make us sing for joy nothing but the blood of Jesus if you've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb and sing out Wow. 
Yeah. 
have a Bible with you handy, if you would, turn with me to Psalm 98. We're in Psalm 98 this morning. I'll read it to begin this message, and then we'll get into it. Psalm 98 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar in all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with uprightness and the people's with equity. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we take up this invitation into your presence to give you your praise. Lord, we, we praise a great God who is greatly to be praised, and your greatness is unsearchable. And you have shown us great grace in your Son, Jesus who died for sins and was raised on the third day. So afresh today, Lord, we believe and ask for your help. Help our unbelief. We ask for your help, Lord, to see. We have tasted and seen that you are good. May we taste again today and see all the more how good and great you are. Help us for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you may have wondered a few songs ago why we sang Joy to the World, what many of us think of as a Christmas carol, and we sang it in June of all times. And one reason for that is that Drew and I both don't think that our best hymns about Christ's first coming and second coming should be reserved only for the month of December. But another reason is that Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World with Psalm 98 in mind. He based it on the psalm that is our focus for today. So Psalm 98 should make us think about Christmas and all that it entails. Jesus' first coming and anticipation of his second coming. There's certainly nothing wrong with us giving special attention to his comings in the month of Advent but we can't limit our attention to those themes to only the month of December. Psalm 98 might also bring to mind an earlier psalm, if we're paying close attention to these psalms of the 90s. Psalm 98 is very similar to Psalm 96. 
If you look down in your Bibles, you can see that they begin and end almost identically. And if you were here a couple weeks ago with us, when Chase preached Psalm 96, you'll see this week that we have roughly the same basic outline and structure for the two psalms. They address God's people, they move out to the nations, and then they culminate in all of creation or even nature joining in God's praise at the consummation of the ages. Uh, the two psalms are similar enough that some liberal scholars think that Psalm 98 is just a, a cheap knockoff of the longer 96. And they're similar enough that Chase and I considered only preaching one of them in this series until Drew persuaded us or forced us to preach them separately. But let me point out a, a difference between Psalm 96 and Psalm 98. The latter is complete praise. There's no discussion of idols like there is in Psalm 96. Psalm 98 is completely locked on to the true God and his true praise. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says, Psalm 98 is a close companion to 96, but it is wholly given up to praise. Here, there are no comparisons with the heathens, no instructions in right worship. All, all is joy and exhilaration. But like Psalm 96, as I already said, there's that ba basic three-part structure. And there is, as well, progression within those three parts. They, they move. Israel is the epicenter, and her praise goes out to the nations, in the end reaching all of creation. So first, we see a new song for Israel in the first three verses. A new song for Israel. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. And then what follows in the next couple of verses are several descriptions of those marvelous things which he's done for, as it says in verse 3, for the house of Israel. And we'll get to those specifics in verses 2 to 3 and just a bit, but notice the response that's called for right up front. Sing to the Lord a new song because he has done marvelous things. Sing a new song. Now, before we think too much about this thing of a new song, let me take a moment to defend old songs. While the Bible speaks of singing a new song about nine or ten times, nowhere in the Bible does it speak of old songs, but the concept is everywhere throughout the Bible. It is assumed throughout the Bible. The book of Psalms is a collection of songs that were at one time new songs, but over the years they have been used again and again. These are songs that God's people have been coming back to weekly, even daily, for hundreds, even thousands of years. They're old songs. So that call to sing a new song is not a call for endless novelty. It's not a call for the writing of drivel that no one can sing because no one knows the new song. And I think some churches have an unhealthy appetite for the new 
and the novel. I think some Christians eschew tradition and things that sound old or ancient. But we should celebrate the fact that we join with saints of old to sing old songs that have proven true and reliable. We should know that experience of coming back to those old faithfuls, the old familiars, those, who, those psalms and hymns which have proven reliable in stirring up our hearts and re-securing our faith in times where we're weary or doubting. Their familiarity should be a balm to us. What shall wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does its successive journeys run. I'm glad I have those lines in my head. You might say, yeah, who needs new songs? Let's just stick to Martin Luther and Isaac Watts. Well, sing to the Lord a new song. There is a place for new songs. The God who is infinitely great is not adequately summarized and celebrated in a collection of only 150 songs or 500 songs as you'd find in the average hymnal. Now the writing and singing of a new song is a, it's appropriate for a God of infinite glory and endless praise. And the writing and singing of new song is especially apropos when God has done something new. In the narrative portions of the Bible, the history sections, every now and then you come across a song. And usually what came right before it was God doing something special and new, something big. So God parts the Red Sea and protects his people from the Egyptian army. And Moses begins to sing and teach the people of Israel a new song of praise in light of what God had done. Hannah was told about her son that was in her once barren womb, and she turns to new song. Mary hears the news of the Messiah in her womb, and she sings a new song. In Revelation, we read about heaven singing a new song and also singing the song of Moses, new and old. That's why I love this project that Drew and his team have been working on writing these psalms from the writing these songs from the psalms of the 90s and what a beautiful mingling of old and new what a great way for us to sing the truth and the language of old while we mark this this new and strange time that the Lord has us in where we need as much as ever to rehearse that the Lord reigns. So we say again, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. And the marvelous things that Psalm 98 has in mind are likely those connected with the Exodus experience. The language is just uh, too close to what we find in the book of Exodus to be coincidence. You see, his right hand in verse 1, that's language that was first found in Moses' song in Exodus 15. 
That phrase, steadfast love and faithfulness, verse 3, well, that comes from God's own self-declaration of his name when his glory passed by Moses in Exodus 34. And here it says he remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness, which might call to mind the beginning of the Exodus story. At the end of chapter 2, God heard the cries and the groaning of his enslaved people, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what was the Exodus story? But one grand story of salvation or deliverance or victory, a word that is repeated three times in the first few verses of our psalm. And that language in Psalm 98 of God working salvation, verse 2, in the sight of the nations, or verse 3, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Well, that's no small part of the Exodus story. Exodus 7, verse 5, God says, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel. Exodus 9, verse 14, I will send all my plagues on you, Pharaoh, God says, and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. In Exodus 14, 4, one more, God says, I will get glory over Pharaoh, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. All the ends of the earth, so to speak. Not so much in our global days like we know the ends of the earth, but in their day. The Egyptians, the nations, they will know and see the salvation of our God. The Exodus experience and all that it entails is sort of the quintessential example of God's redemption in the Old Testament. And the whole Old Testament just keeps going back to it and back to it. And why did he do it? Well, for his glory, yes. For his people, because he cared for them, he heard their cries, yes. Because he's faithful to his promises, yes. But also as a testimony to the world. Listen to what Rahab, the Canaanite woman, said to the Jewish spies in Joshua 2. She said, I know that the Lord has given you the land. That's her land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And then she brokers a deal for her safety as she hides the spies. Or think of that little shepherd boy David who went against the blasphemous giant in 1 Samuel 17, the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear, a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, 
the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. It is moments like that, and especially back in the Exodus, that Psalm 98 says, in light of that, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. He has done marvelous things. We often say as a church that worship is revelation and response. God reveals himself, and we respond. He works And we respond with worship. Psalm 96 said it best. The Lord is great, revelation, and greatly to be praised, response. Worship is the response to what he has already said and done. That means that worship doesn't start with us. In the grand scheme of things, we don't initiate. He has initiated He's initiated, he has worked, he has revealed, he has spoken, and we respond with song, with worship. With worship that rehearses what he has done and how he has revealed himself. True worship is about him. It describes him. It ascribes his worth. It rehearses the reasons for the worship. Do you see that in Psalm 98? Oh, that important word, for. You sing to the Lord a new song, for. And then we have half dozen lines of reasons why. A lot of pop Christian music today, I think, misses this. At least it gets the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Too many songs today emphasize what we do and how we feel and what we're going to do and how much we love him and how great our worship is. D.A. Carson says this, You cannot find excellent corporate worship until you stop trying to find excellent corporate worship and pursue God himself. One wonders sometimes, Carson says, if we are beginning to worship worship rather than worship God. He says, as a brother put it to me, it's a bit like those who begin by admiring the sunset and soon begin to admire themselves admiring the sunset. Some may sing the praise chorus, let's forget about ourselves and magnify the Lord and worship him. But, Carson says, the way you forget about yourself is by focusing on God. Not by singing about it, but by doing it. Now there is almost a cruel irony as we come to Psalm 98 in an era of COVID-19. And that's not missed by me, and yet let me hold off on addressing that until we get a little further into this psalm. 
Let's let the psalm stand for itself. This is God's word for us today, even in a room where there are a dozen or two dozen so who are here with masks on who didn't sing when Drew led in singing. We can't right now. We'll come back to that. But this song says, sing to the Lord. Sing old and new songs. Sing about the marvelous things he's done, his salvation, his victories, his steadfast love and his faithfulness, and how his salvation has been shown to the world. And call on the nations then. Call on them to join us in joyous song. So secondly, we have joyous songs from the nations. Israel's the epicenter. It continues to move out. Praise is swelling. It's progressing. Verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth break forth into joyous song and sing praises. As Chase showed us a couple of weeks ago, This kind of thing is rooted in the Abrahamic covenant where God first spoke about blessing the nations by his people. We see little pockets of that in the Old Testament, like Rahab, who I mentioned before, or Moses' father-in-law, a Gentile who comes to confess the one true God. The queen of Sheba, who comes from afar to get wisdom from Solomon. Or Nebuchadnezzar, who at least for a time confessed the true and sovereign God as the only one. We see it in psalms like this psalm, and Psalm 97, and Psalm 96, which call on the nations, the many coastlands, the peoples, the ends of the earth, to worship the true God. Well, that call to the nations that anticipation of the nations coming in to worship the true God, it swells in the days of the prophets. So Isaiah 52, verse 10, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. How will God do that? Well, verse 13 of the same chapter of Isaiah. Behold, my servant will act wisely. He'll be high and lifted up and exalted. His appearance, though, is so marred, Isaiah says, beyond human semblance. And so he shall sprinkle the nations. Sprinkle, cover, atone, pay the price for That's Isaiah 52. What's Isaiah 53? The suffering servant, which describes his appearance being so marred and the sprinkling provided for the nations. It describes it at such great length in Isaiah 53. Listen to Romans 15, where Paul explains what this servant came to do. He says, Christ became a servant... To serve the Jews, yes, but also in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Glorify God. Sing his praises. Break forth into joyous song. And Paul proves that point by quoting four Old Testament references right after that. The kind of thing that we have in a psalm like this, though this psalm isn't quoted by Paul in Romans 15. But he's proving the point. 
at the seedlings of this global salvation. Different in the Old Testament, yes, as Chase put it last week, the Old Testament was something of a come-and-see religion. The New Testament certainly is a go-and-tell religion. But it was all there in the Old Testament all along, promised, anticipated, foreshadowed, even in little pockets of individuals. And on this side now of the cross and resurrection, now that the servant has come and he has served us completely, well, how much more can we now say to the world, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Notice that's a mingling of witness and worship. It's a mingling of mission and music. It's an invitation to salvation and, even more, song. It's sort of microwaving or truncating the experience that's needed. You see, we can't on our own, apart from grace, just pick up God's praises and bring them to him. We can't even come into his presence like these lines of Psalm 98 call us to do before the king, the Lord. We have no right. So there can be no joyous song if there isn't first an understanding of that salvation spoken of earlier, that steadfast love and faithfulness. Worship indeed is the goal, and that's what Psalm 98 is getting at, but it assumes how we get there. It's not unlike 1 Corinthians 14 in the New Testament where Paul imagines a church's worship service, and he says an unbeliever or outsider enters, and he's convicted, the secrets of his heart are disclosed to him. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That's the goal. Joining God's people in falling on faces in worship in the presence of God. But how we get there necessarily includes an understanding of our guilt and his grace. It, it necessarily includes a, an understanding of what Chase read for us earlier from Galatians 3. That all of us are under a curse because of our sin. But Christ came and he bore that curse upon the cross. That's how he served. Christ became a servant in order that the Gentiles would be saved, and being saved, they would glorify God for his mercy. And so if you're not yet a Christian, you shouldn't hear this psalm tell you, yeah, I really should do more religious things and probably have a good attitude about it. Yeah, when church gets back, whatever that is and whenever that is, I should probably go. And I probably should even sing, even though I don't like singing. No, 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 no. You're taking a shortcut. You must come through Christ. You must see the salvation, the deliverance 
that God has provided in him. Not deliverance from Egypt's slavery, but deliverance from sin's tyranny. Deliverance from guilt. Christ bore our curse. You receive him bearing your curse by simply confessing it to him and asking him for it. Just believe and trust. You can do that today. We pray that you would. And perhaps even today, if this is a day of salvation for you, well, then now you're on the other side of things. There's guilt, there's grace, and then there's gratitude. Gratitude, that's praise. Now, knowing the marvelous things that he has done for you, knowing the steadfast love and faithfulness that's in Christ, knowing that for yourself, now make a joyful noise to the Lord, break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Get out the musical instruments, church. Strike up the band. Get loud. Make a joyful noise. It says, verse 4, break forth. Bust out in happy worship and keep inviting more and more to join you in that same raucous, happy celebration of God's salvation and steadfast love. Worship is contagious. At least it should be. You see that here? Verses 1 to 3 were, were spoken or, or sung to others. They were about God, yes, but they are spoken to others. Some psalms speak directly to God, of course, but, but many others are also about God, spoken to others to stir up their worship. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 in the New Testament speak of singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. It's contagious. It's it's to others. It's with others. Verse 4 and 5 and 6, of course, again, it just gets broader. It's the call for the whole earth to join in on this. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, Reflections on the Psalms. I'm going to give you a few longish quotes here. He starts with what was at first a problem for him. He says, when I first began to draw near to belief in God, and even for some time after it had been given to me, I found a stumbling block in the demand so clamorously made by all religious people that we should praise God. Still more in the suggestion that God himself demanded it. We all despise the man who demands continued assurance of his own virtue, intelligence, or delightfulness. We despise still more the crowd of people around every dictator, every millionaire, every celebrity who gratify that demand. Thus, a picture, at once ludicrous and horrible, both of God and of his worshipers, threatened to appear in my mind. The Psalms were especially troublesome in this way. Praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord with me. Praise him. And why, incidentally, did praising God so often consist in telling other people to praise him? That's the problem. And then comes the epiphany. He says, I have never noticed, I had never noticed, that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. 
Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? And he goes on, one more. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes enjoyment. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly to the turn of a road upon some mountain valley or unexpected grandeur and, and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. Well, we, we know that also just from smiles and laughter. It's, it's contagious. Someone smiles and unless you're really a jerk... It, the inclination is to smile back, to hear others laughing. Sometimes you, you join in the laughter not knowing yet what the joke is. What's so funny? But you're laughing before you know. And that's what makes these COVID-related restrictions no small trial for us. As I said earlier, Psalm 98 calls us to exuberant song and for the couple dozen people in this room, they have masks on and they can't sing. And the rest of us, hearing this from our living rooms on Sunday morning, perhaps you sung with one other, or two or three, maybe five, as in my case. So what shall we do with a psalm like this in days when we can't gather much in days when we can't sing like we used to or like we like to. But we keep remembering that these present circumstances are not normal. This doesn't feel good because it isn't. We don't get used to it. And we thank God we don't get used to it. We feel the tension with Psalm 98 summoning, summoning us to great song while we're quiet. We'll keep remembering that this whole ordeal will likely be temporary and we'll keep longing and praying for the Lord to give us again uh, what we probably took for granted for years upon years upon years upon years. And until then, we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep our eyes on him and we'll do what we can in this room, we didn't sing. We were allowed to hum. I hummed so hard, my lips are still buzzing. Do what you can. You ponder the words just like you would if it were any 
typical Sunday where we can sing. We participate in the happy singing that we can do in our living rooms even with a smaller group than perhaps we'd like. We sing God's praises in the car, in the shower, as family, wherever. Keep singing. We encourage each other as this psalm encourages us and encourages all God's people to do. It's leading the way. It's giving us example. It is telling us to tell others to sing to the Lord a new song because he has done marvelous things. And to commend all that to the world. As Zechariah 4 warns, we must not despise the days of small things. There's some small things about our worship these days. And there's some new things to learn. We might find ourselves having a more, a deeper appreciation for Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. That God has not changed. He's still on his throne. He will be exalted among the nations, as that verse goes on to say. We can be confident that he will, in the end, get his praise. Isaiah 11, verse 9. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Waters cover the sea completely. Full saturation. The knowledge of the Lord one day will cover the world like that. Habakkuk says the glory of the Lord one day will cover the earth like waters cover the sea. Revelation 5, verse 9. In heaven, John sees that they sang a new song. A new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is the joyful song of the nations in its fullness. Thirdly, there's the celebration of all creation in the last few verses of Psalm 98. Let the sea Roar in all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Now, on one level, that could be just poetic imagery of everyday creation. God's creation could just be majestically and powerfully spoken of here because creation does declare his glory. We saw that last week in Psalm 97. Psalm 19 says the heavens are just pouring forth speech or information about God. And we know the seas at times do roar. Even now, it's as if mighty rivers do clap their hands against the rocks. The hills are alive with the sound of music. Sorry. On another level, though, this world is under a curse, and it is awaiting its final redemption. Chase mentioned this when he preached Psalm 96. 
it's fitting for us to reference it again, that in Romans 8, Paul tells us that the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing, the final redemption of the sons of God. For creation, he says, was subjected to futility. That's the curse. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. We know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. So we groan now. Creation groans now. It's in upheaval even now as it's under a curse. But one day when Christ returns, the sea will roar in celebration. The rivers will clap their hands and the hills will sing for joy. And so even now, as we await that day, because it's so sure to come, the psalmist can say, and we can join him in this, Roar, you sea, clap, you rivers, sing, you hills, for he comes to judge the earth. And he has come. He has come, and he is coming again. He has already come, and so this is already beginning to be true. What it says there in verse 9. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. It's already now in Christ beginning to be true that the judge has come. And this judge is this world's judge. And he is bringing righteousness and equity to this world. I know that seems unthinkable in these days especially. Well... We say of that that it's both now and not yet. Let me read for you from Isaiah 11, a chapter I've already quoted from once. And a little bit more of that material will help us see Jesus in our psalm. Because the themes of Psalm 98 run straight through Isaiah 11, a chapter which shines a bright spotlight on our Jesus. Isaiah 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That means an offspring of King David. A branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see. Because he knows more than just what he sees. He won't decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. It goes on. The wolf will dwell with the lamb in those days. The leopard will lie down with a young goat. What is this? Well, it's describing perfect peace. A transformed creation order. The cow and the bear will graze together. And then verse 9. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover 
the sea. Well, that branch from the stump of Jesse is Jesus, and he has come. He is this world's judge. He does righteously and with equity get things right. It's now, but it's also not yet. The earth is filling up with the knowledge of the Lord as the gospel goes forth in the world. It's now. But it's not yet like waters covering the sea. But it is now even when we can't see it. So Hebrews helpfully says that God has put everything in subjection to Jesus. Everything. There's nothing that is outside his control. And at present, we don't yet see everything in subjection to him. It doesn't mean he doesn't reign. It doesn't mean he's not on his throne. It doesn't mean he doesn't get things right. It doesn't mean he won't make things clear in the end. One day, it will be true and clear and seen and undeniable and universal. He will come to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and with equity. And yes, that means trouble for those who reject his salvation, who aren't interested in his steadfast love. The judge coming back is trouble. It's trouble for those who refuse his worship. But I think primarily here at the end of Psalm 98, these last lines are meant as a great comfort to his people. He will judge this world with perfect righteousness and equity. He won't need to see. He won't need to hear. He won't weigh evidence. He's all-knowing. Isn't that what this world needs right now? A righteous judge. Perfect equity. Perfect insight into what's going on and what's wrong. When Jesus comes back, he'll not only settle accounts, but he'll right all wrongs. He'll straighten all that is crooked in this fallen world. And so in light of what he has done, and he has done marvelous things, in light of what he will do, will do, bringing perfect righteousness and justice and peace to his people, in light of that, sing praises. Make joyful noises to him. Say and sing, not just at Christmas, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. One day, this will be the headline. No more let sins and sorrows grow. 
nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Let's pray. Lord, we pray to that end for the day when you come and you make all things right. And we can pray that, Lord, because of mercy because of salvation, because of your deliverance, because of your steadfast love and faithfulness, wholly undeserved, but so freely, graciously, and unswervingly given. We want others, Lord, to join us in this, to join us in salvation and praise. We pray that some hearing this today we begin to understand guilt and grace and gratitude that is this exuberant and joyful. Lord, may it be so, and may it be so in our lives and in those spheres around us for your glory, for our good. Amen. We're going to sing a new song. We hope that these new songs have benefited you in your meditating and reflecting on these psalms. And once again, we have some new chords and new notes to help us sing and sing for joy from Psalm 98. Come sing a new song to the Lord for the wonders he performed his mighty hand and holy arm have his salvation's victory won the Lord has made his triumph known his righteousness the nations shown his love and faithfulness he kept to his people ever blessed. Let the whole earth sing to the King with joyful noise, a voice and string. Shout for joy, come let praises ring, for he has done marvelous things. sea will roar and all therein the rivers hills come clap their hands he comes to judge with equity the ends of the earth will see and sing let the whole earth sing to the king with joyful noise a voice and stream out for joy, come let praises ring, for he has done marvelous things, for he has done marvelous things. Sing now for joy, by his death we are saved, 
Our King has risen and conquered the grave. Soon He is coming and all will proclaim glory and honor and praise to His name. Sing now for joy by His death we are saved. Our King has risen and conquered the grave. Soon He is coming and Lord will proclaim glory and honor and praise to His name. Let the whole earth sing to the King with joyful noise and voice and stream. Shout for joy, come let Where Jesus bled and died for me, I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. body bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance by heavy stone Messiah still and all alone Shall return in robes 
of white the blazing sun shall pierce the night and I will rise among the saints my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face let's lift your voice and praise no praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore for endless days. We will sing Your praise, oh church, we say that we're to be about spreading God's glory broader and deeper. God's glory, well, that's his godness, his weight, his fame, his bigness. We want to spread that. We want to spread it broader. We want others to know. We want, we want people to know in faraway lands where they don't have access to the gospel currently, and we want people to know who haven't yet come to know who live in our own neighborhoods and work with us at work. That's the broader, and that includes you. If you're not yet a Christian, we, that's for you. Our mission is for you. We want to help. We want to answer any questions that you might have about this Jesus. We want you to know of this steadfast love and faithfulness in this salvation that we've come to sing about and shout about and talk about endlessly. You can follow up with us with our email address, info at dscabq.com, if you have any questions or you'd just like some prayer about your relationship with the Lord. Spreading God's glory broader, but also deeper. Saints, go deeper with the Lord. Go deeper in gazing upon his glory as we see in his word. Marvel at him. Marvel with him in praise and prayer. Give yourself to it. You cannot give yourself to anything greater or more lasting than God's worship. There is coming a day when his glory has so thoroughly spread, it, it'll not only cover this earth like waters cover the sea, but in terms of revelation, it'll be like there's no need for the sun anymore because his glory will be its lamp. He will light up heaven and earth in a way that outshines the sun. That is supreme glory. That's what awaits us.